driven by the mission to develop an enhanced practitioner focused research the center for financial innovation at spjimr provides a platform for collaboration amongst industry academia and policy makers to contribute to the knowledge of practice in india here the experts bring out the nuances of financial innovation that is disrupting traditional finance beyond the bottom line initiative is a part of this effort aimed at considering aspects of finance that go beyond just profits hello everyone i am shreya shah and i am shashank agarwal from center for financial studies at spjimr we welcome you all to the first episode of beyond the bottom line the topic for our today's discussion is the latest innovation in fintech space by the government of india that is central bank digital currency commonly known as cbdc to discuss the same we have with us dr professor varun yadav he is an ancosicode alumni and has completed his phd from ahmedabad economics his research area includes banking policies inflation and digital payments he has also been a member of the central bank research association and has been facilitated with the jsso scholarship so so uh, it's an absolute honor to have you with us over here thank you very much uh, shashank for your generous introduction so uh, i am open to the questions and please uh, we can proceed yes. so so on december 1 uh, the rbi launched its pilot project of retail cbdcs so could you give an introduction a brief overview to our audience of what actually cbdc is and what are the different types of it okay so shreya uh, cbdc is a digital money uh, issued by the central bank so it's a new variant of a central bank money the other forms being the physical cash and the central bank reserves so a key defining feature of a cbdc is that it's a liability of the central bank it sits on the liability side of the central bank's balance sheet so in other words uh, cbdc uh, is a uh, is a legal tender issued by the central bank and uh, uh, it's exchangeable one to one with the fiat currency and it's as good a medium of exchange and store of value as fiat currency so cbdc has been explored by many countries and as of date we are speaking today there are uh, 11 countries who have officially launched uh, the cbdc and the first country to launch the cbdc was bahamas who launched it in uh, uh, october 2021 it's called sand dollar mm-hmm. and uh, after that uh, i think uh, uh east caribbean currency union they launched their cbdc uh in uh, april 2021 under which eight countries come in in this currency union then uh, uh nigeria became the first country in africa to have launched the cbdc in uh, october 2021 uh, the Baha- uh, the bahamian cent dollar was in october 2020 okay. and the last one the, to join the club was the jamaica who launched it in uh december oh, sorry in uh, uh, june this year uh it's called jamdex okay. so india uh, and china they are uh, going through the pilot phase of it mm-hmm. and china uh, uh has been in the pilot phase since a long time it's uh, it's it's quite in maturity phase of its pilot phase and india as you said that it has launched its pilot uh in uh in december for the retail cbdc and in november for the no, wholesale no, cbdc So that's a bit about the CBDC. Okay, thank you so much, thank sir. You. So um, since so many countries are exploring uh, CBDCs, yes. I'm sure it has obvious advantages. 
So could you give a little bit of insight on that as well? How would CBDC help our country and the people uh, in transactions and how, okay. how, it, how does it affect the digital economy? Okay. Yes. So CBDC, as we talked, it comes in, uh, it, it will be of the two types. One is the retail CBDC and another is the wholesale CBDC. Okay. Both of them are targeted for different segments and they have different use cases. Okay. So I'll uh, first talk about the uh, uh, wholesale CBDC. So uh, briefly, I'll tell about both and then I will elaborate on each of them. So uh, retail CBDC is targeted for normal consumers, all of us, uh, like you and me and uh, corporations, businesses, it is for everyone. While a wholesale CBDCs, CBDC, it is for uh, select financial in, uh, uh, institutions who either have reserve accounts with the central bank or they deal in wholesale transactions in capital markets and securities market. So. Uh, how it is going to impact us and uh, how will it will impact the uh, digital economy. So I will come to the use cases of the uh, retail CBDC first. So the retail CBDC which is for every one of us and uh, it's actually uh, supposed to act as a, uh, a to, to, to add resilience to the current payment system. We have a very mature uh, payments ecosystem. We have UPI, which we, uh, we have uh, uh, payment systems which are uh, which provide near real-time uh, transactions and uh, it's available at one of the uh, lowest posts in the world actually. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's supposed to complement all that, provide resilience to all that and it also provides a safe and secure means of transaction. Uh, payment because it's a it's a, it's a, a CBDC it's a central bank uh, digital currency it, it offers something called a settlement finality there is no settlement risk while you are dealing with CBDC so it's a it's a risk free uh, uh, option which is provided to uh, the retail consumers it's kind of a cash analog of uh, a digital analog of cash actually okay. so uh, so both of them are issued by the central bank right mm -hmm. and now coming to the use cases of uh, the wholesale CBDC, so it's it's intended it's intended to be used by uh, financial institutions, as I mentioned, who either have reserve accounts with the central bank or uh, they are dealing with wholesale transactions like security transactions in capital markets and things like that. So uh, it has very uh, diverse use cases in this case actually. So uh, it it's intended to add efficiencies to the settlement systems. For financial institutions who are dealing with the, in either government security transactions or uh, capital market transactions and security transactions or interbank transfers, right? So one particular uh, benefit of this, uh, uh, the CBDC in the wholesale segment is that uh, it obviates the need to have any settlement guarantees, right? Mm -hmm. So the settlement infrastructure, uh, uh, the settlement guarantee infrastructure is not required to that extent as it was required earlier and uh, uh, there will be no guarantees required right so it will make the uh, settlement system more efficient another very promising use case of a wholesale cbdc is that uh, is in the area of uh, cross border uh, payments right, right? so yeah. uh, and uh, so i think these are very promising use cases of the both the types of cbdcs that was very helpful sir so since we already talked about that India has already been into the pilot phase of launching the CBDC with the wholesale and retail CBDC launched yeah. uh, in the very recent past. So I'm pretty sure India must have to incur a huge or significant cost yes. for the infrastructure. So what's your insight on that? 
See, the final cost which India will end up incurring, it will depend on a lot of design choices it uh, goes through. Uh, I mean, some of the higher level design choices have already been made, like it's going to be a, uh, in the retail segment, it will be a, a account based CBDC, sorry, it will be a, a token based CBDC, while in the uh, uh, wholesale segment, it will be account based CBDC and uh, the retail CBDC will be non remunerative. And so there will be there will be many uh, headings of the costs which will come, uh, which will determine the final cost and it will be impacted by the final design choices. So as our pilot proceeds, we will uh, get learning from that and the final details of the design choices will be determined by that actually. So but uh, whatever costs are there in the long run, it will reduce, uh, uh, maybe we might end up incurring some high fixed cost, right? But uh, after the infrastructure is set up, the marginal costs will be very low, right? Yep. So it, uh, the variable costs will be very low and uh, uh, so it's, uh, so we cannot, uh, so, uh, so there is not much liter literature on the exact quantification of the cost which is going to be incurred, but uh, uh, the broad heads under that will be uh, the IT infrastructure, the servers, and uh, if, we go, if, if we go for a blockchain or DLT based, some costs will be incurred in the technology platforms. And uh, there will be a lot of due diligence go, uh, which will go in uh, 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 going through various technology considerations like cybersecurity and things like that. So the costs will be there, but uh, I mean, it, it's, it's uh, expected to uh, give returns in the long run. So talking of uh, security and cyber security, uh, actually I was very much curious on, uh, since we are talking of a digital currency and we are talking about the entire payment infrastructure, so can you please enlighten our audience on what are the contingencies and the risks that you see associated that the RBI must take care of, uh, you know, before we go ahead with a full phase implementation of the digital currency. Yeah. So th there are quite a few contingencies which any central bank, not only RBI, RBI should take care of before going for a population scale rollout of the CBDC. So, so these contingencies, I mean, uh, you can either learn lessons from other countries who have implemented, implemented it, or you can learn lessons from your own pilots, limited scale pilots, which are currently going on, right? So some of uh, these contingencies which you have mentioned, they will go into considerations which will express themselves as the design choices, right? For example, some high level design choices that I mentioned have been have already been made. For the retail CBDC, uh, I mean, as I told you that uh, it will be a non-remunerative CBDC, which means it will be a non-interest non bearing CBDC. It won't give you any interest. It's like the, just like the cash, not like bank deposit, right? Yeah. So, uh, so these 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 uh, these design choices have to very wise as they as they may have very uh, far-reaching ramifications for the economic stability and all. So, there is a lot of literature on uh, on the design choice between a remunerative and non-remunerative CBDC. If you go for a remunerative CBDC, which is interest-bearing, mm -hmm. it might cannibalize your bank deposits, right? Mm -hmm. And it may lead to financial disintermediation, and uh, which is a uh, which is a risk factor, right? So we have uh, drawing lessons from other countries. We have gone for a non-remunerative CBDC, okay. and uh, uh, we have made a choice between which one of will be account-based or token-based, and we, are we going to use an intermediate model for disbursement of uh, uh, CBDC retail, or are we going to use a direct model? We have gone for an intermediate model. So these design choices, uh, they kind of take care of the contingencies. It's embedded in them. Apart from that, we have to take care of some technological considerations, which uh, can have ramifications for the cybersecurity 
the governance part of it and uh, all those things right so these technological considerations will express themselves in technological design considerations like should we go for a dlt based uh, cbdc or it should be a centralized database or we sh uh, should it offer offline access or not should it be programmable or not right so these and uh, what kind of technology platform are we using what kind of uh, 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 other technology technological infrastructure and things we are using so they they, they all these contingencies will determine these granular uh, design decisions like which will be finalized after we are done with our limited pilots mm. right so uh, since we're talking of technology and what all we can use yeah so uh, as my limited understanding goes cbdc usually is on the entire network of the blockchain and on the entire technology of blockchain that has been incubated but it has certain restrictions or certain limitations by the central bank so doesn't it very much violate the core principle of the blockchain technology okay that's a very interesting question first of all all i like to clar clarify that uh, we have not explicitly decided to go for a blockchain based or a dlt based uh, 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 cbdc in fact, I will quote a statement by Minister of State for Finance. He said that some components of the CBDC will have elements of blockchain in it, okay. but uh, we are not yet sure which components are blockchain-based, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very gra granular decision. Are we going for a DLT-based or a blockchain-based, or we are going for some kind of hybrid architecture, right? As per research by MIT's Digital Currency Initiative, they have done a project Hamilton. So as per the report of that, so the use the the attractiveness of blockchain in a CBDC is very limited actually because by design it's a it's a centralized governance right so so CBD uh, the blockchain and DLTs they are designed for trustless environments right where different parties do not trust each other it's and if you if you look at the kind of data structure a blockchain it's a highly inefficient data structure there is so much replication right and depending on the consensus mechanisms you will use, it may end up being highly energy intensive and unsustainable, right? right? Although we have newer ones coming, but uh, there are still uh, consensus mechanisms in wide prevalence today, which are uh, uh, not energy intensive or, uh, sorry, no, not uh, sustainable. Uh, they are not energy efficient. So uh, I won't say that we, there is a very strong use, case, a strong case for the use of blockchain in a, in CBDC, but uh, in some kind of hybrid architectures, we may go for it. It does have relevance and usefulness for, for the wholesale CBDC when we go for cross-border payments. Because there you are involved with so many parties who do not end up trusting each other. Right. It's, it's a multi-country, uh, you, you deal with so many banks who operate in different time zones, right? They don't, uh, the level of trust is much lesser than that. So there we have a uh, a use case for the DLT and blockchain and there have been several multi-currency CBDC projects which have been done on uh, blockchain platforms. Right. But for retail CBDC, I don't know, uh, I'm not sure uh, yet like to what extent we will end up using uh, blockchain technology because it may have ramifications for the throughput time also, the number of transactions we can process per second, right? Mm -hmm. While a retail CBDC is supposed to achieve higher throughput rates in terms of yeah. transaction, right? So uh, uh, we are yet to see in what form the blockchain will end up uh, uh, being used in the retail CBDC. So uh, I won't read much into the statement which was issued yesterday. Yeah. So there are some components which might have a blockchain or it might be a hybrid form of some blockchain, but uh, we are yet to see the details of how it will be.
this was definitely a huge uh, like value addition to value both addition of us actually to, yeah. we didn't have much idea regarding how the entire structure of indian cbdc is going to be okay yes okay so so just uh, an add on on his question yeah. since cbdc is a digital form of the currency yeah. uh, will will it not create a parallel economy and okay. will it not affect the the currency stability in our economy okay so there are several forms of digital money right yeah. so we can have digital money as bank deposits they are also digital money we have digital money as cbdc yeah. which is central bank issued yeah. and we may have decentralized forms of digital money like cryptocurrencies yeah. right they are decentralized many of them allow for anonymity so such kind of uh, private monies or cryptocurrencies they can lead to a parallel economic right okay. because they are not traceable and in in some circumstances they may uh, uh, they may uh, impede your external ex- uh, your foreign exchange controls they may uh they may hamper the transmission of the monetary policy if it's a wide if there is a widespread use of cryptocurrencies in the economy and they may undermine the uh, stability of the monetary system to yeah. some extent right so these kind of crypto uh, such cryptocurrency usage yeah. might uh, create a parallel economy not cbdcs if cbdcs can provide a safe alternative okay. risk free relatively risk free alternative which is much lesser volatile than the cryptocurrencies right mm-hmm. and if if most of the consumers end up substituting crypt, uh, cbdcs for cryptocurrencies then in fact it can it can it can impede the creation of a parallel economy that's what i will say actually yeah actually that makes uh, sense because it's backed yeah. by the government yes. so that is true so uh, so what about its impact on economic variables like exchange rate or exports Uh, like you said cross border currency transfers will okay. how will those indicators be impacted of all the variables and indicators which you just mentioned i'll say it it will have most significant impact on the cross border payments right right and direct impact on the cross border payments mm-hmm. so cross border payments scenario currently in india uh, sorry across the world it is characterized by inefficiencies and very high cost right okay. so uh, for example i can cite some numbers i had brought with me right so the current uh, cross border transactions or cross border payment scenario it's 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 uh, implemented using a system of correspondent banks okay. right so if you are transferring money from one nation to another so uh, you will have to find out some correspondent banks and then they will talk to each other and uh, that the whole transaction takes might take several days to get implemented get effected and it's very costly and to give you some numbers on how costly it may end up so the the whole volume of the cross border transactions in 2020 was i think 23.5 trillion and the charges were people end up paying around 120 billion dollars in terms of charges which is equal to the gdp of morocco right the 0.5% of the whole uh, transaction volume it goes as the charges right so it's inefficient in terms of the time it takes in terms of the inefficient Uh, it's very in- inefficient in terms of uh, how costly it is right uh, so cbdc is very promising in this arena it can uh, uh, it can resolve uh, some of the bottlenecks and if uh, uh, there have been some pilots li- uh, like uh, mcbdc bridge and project dunbar and uh, which have given very promising results in this direction like you can execute a cross border payment in a few seconds right and the and the cost will be very less also so 
So if most many of the countries end up adopting uh, these kind of uh, technologies, then uh, uh, the cro it will have huge impact on the cross-border payments ecosystem as a whole, and it will improve the efficiencies of that. Apart from that, it has some geopolitical ramifications also. Uh, so, for example, the current financial system, it is, I will say, characterized by the dominance or hegemony of the US dollar right. in international yeah. transactions and international uh, trade as well. For example, 40% uh, of the invoice, uh, of the global trade invoices, they are done in US dollar, right? right? While while uh, I think U.S. accounts for much lesser percentage. Mm -hmm. So it's out of proportion uh, importance of U.S. dollar in global trade invoicing. And uh, apart from that, uh, if you look at the foreign exchange transactions, 88% of the forex transactions have uh, U.S. dollar in some form or another. Uh, either it may be one of the payers or you may end up paying in the U.S. dollar. So, so that's a very out of the proportion. Uh, importance of the US dollar in both these arenas. And apart from that, there are two organizations which US controls, has a very uh, significant control over them. One is SWIFT and another is CHIPS, yeah. right? Yeah. So these two organizations are so important, like uh, more than 90% of the transactions in a couple of years back, I mean, you look at most of the years, it will hold true, I think. Uh, it was uh, through SWIFT actually, it's a messaging system. Right. And if you remember like uh, uh, Russia uh, in the wake of the Ukraine war suffered sanctions in which it was cut off from the SWIFT system. So US uh, actually uh, by way of the control over these systems and the dollar hegemony which is there in the global finance, it kind of uh, can impose sac sanctions on the countries, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, if wholesale CBDC, if, if it achieves a widespread prevalence for cross-border payments, mm. then it can definitely challenge the dollar hegemony and reduce the power of such institutions, right? So apart from having far-reaching uh, 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 impact on the cross-border payments, it has some uh, geopolitical uh, uh, benefits also. So, so just uh, an add-on to that question. Yes. Uh, the other countries have also introduced their digital currencies. So has yes. that impacted the dollar transactions? Have that Has that had any impact on the uh, hegemony of the dollar transactions that you were talking about? I will say not yet, but as the prevalence, in, because currently not many countries have uh, uh, implemented CBDC. Right? right, only 11 countries and they are relatively smaller countries, okay. right? So as bigger countries like China is currently in the, uh, in the pilot phase, right? Mm. And when it rolls out a population scale CBDC, mm. particularly in the wholesale segment, and uh, many countries like Singapore, Thailand, UAE, they are doing uh, uh, MC, uh, uh, the wholesale CBDC transactions over the blockchain mm. for cross-border transactions. So as more and more countries adopt uh, CBDC and uh, they end up doing cross-border transactions with each other over the blockchain, uh, then definitely it will uh, reduce the dominance of uh, US in this area. I guess uh, we're talking about the US dollar and the hegemony of the international payment system that creates the entire arena of its own together. Yeah. Uh, I would like to talk about more of the domestic space. Yeah, sure. I guess our audience will be much more interested. Yeah. So in India, we see that UPA has been on a rise. Yeah. Its popularity, the weight has been used, yeah. the facets it has been implemented. Mm -hmm. So 
uh, what's your take on how the CBDC will be implemented? Will it be a parallel thing or will it be integrated? Or there's some point of connection or hybrid that okay. RBI must be planning? So that's a very interesting question and there are multiple perspectives on this actually. So uh, India, as you mentioned, uh, UPI is a big thing and uh, uh, India has one of the best uh, state of the art payment systems infrastructure in the world. And we have very low costs for that, like it can uh, give you near real time transactions, right? Uh, pro transaction processing. So UPI, uh, it, uh, okay, I'll first cite a recent IMF research article which says that uh, UPI may actually end up impeding the adoption of uh, CBDC. The reason being that look, look at it from an end user perspective, right? Both of them will have similar user interface. One will have a wallet you, and for UPI you might be using some app, but they both give instantaneous payments, almost instantaneous payments. And uh, uh, so both bo bo uh, both are on uh, very both are both will be very streamlined systems. So from a end user perspective, uh, uh, so uh, the wide adoption of C the vibrant uh, UPI ecosystem, it might actually slightly impede the adoption of CBDC. And uh, uh, UPI also has a first mover advantage of sorts, right? So this is one perspective. While the government, uh, it says that in its uh, in its concept note and various other uh, uh, other uh, uh, publications available, it mentions that uh, uh, CBDC is designed to complement uh, the existing payment systems, mm -hmm. in, in, uh, and it, it it's designed to provide resilience to those systems so that it can act as a alternative mode of transaction in case of disruptions and things like that. So uh, we are not sure uh, whether uh, uh, it will uh, it will overtake UPI or things like that, right? Mm. And uh, there is some mention of integrating it with the UPI systems also, or, or other payment systems also. But but that will be very technologically challenging uh, based on what the final design architecture and technological architecture we are uh, we come out with. Mm. It might end up using some sort of very robustly written APIs, uh, which incorporate all of those things like cybersecurity and things like that. But uh, whether it ends up uh, overtaking UP, uh, UPI systems or uh, whether it will be a, a parallel mode of payment, adding adding resilience to the existing systems, right? It's yet to be seen. I say, so the, the India stack story is actually a marvel within itself where we yes. see new innovations coming up UPI being the latest and a novel one. So uh, my next question revolves around something related to, we are seeing that India has yet to achieve a greater internet penetration. Yes, yes. Uh, approximately only 800 or 850 odd million people out of the 1.4 billion people have access to internet as of date. And yet there are a lot of sections in the society we see have not been comfortable yes. in the real time scenario. Yeah. So, how do you see uh, CBDC's adoption? Because UBI has been going with to UBI 2.2 and in the coming 3.0, where via yes. least amount of technology or maybe on a simple network, mm -hmm. not not having access to internet is also enabling them. Yes. So, how does CBDC venture into this space? Yes. So, uh, one of the motivators for most of the emerging and developing economies to adopt CBDC, including India is to 
increase the financial inclusion, right? And uh, as you mentioned that a significant chunk of the Indian population still does not have the internet access. So it's, it becomes imperative that we incorporate offline functionality. And that's also, uh, uh, I think, the plan of RBI as well. So they they have been considering several options. I and mean, these are, I will I'll mention a few options which are, uh, uh, which have uh, which have gained some attraction, right? Mm -hmm. So they are considering several options. One of them is like enabling offline transactions using the feature phones, which are the basic phones, non-smart phones, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, one one is there are several solutions to that. One uh, I'm uh, citing the most famous ones. One one is based on the Bank of Japan research paper of 2020, which kind of uh, uses an integrated IC chip which can be attached to the SIM card of the uh, your feature phone and then using uh, uh, SMS, uh, it, uh, the two devices can talk to each other uh, without the use of internet, right? Mm -hmm. That's one. And there's a FinTech company called Whisper Cash. Actually, it, it offers a very cheap device which can also be used along with the SIM card that can be attached to the SIM card and then the devices can communicate with each other either using SMS or using near field communication or using the Bluetooth, right? So these are some of the options. Uh, apart from that, uh, there is a uh, there is another technology which is gaining some traction. It's called offline payment system by Visa. So that system it allows one to uh, get get your CBDC balances on some smartphone or some tab, whatever it is, and then they can talk to each other without the use of internet. Uh, using again near near field communication or Bluetooth or things like that. So the uh, the main thing in main challenge in this visa proposal is that it it's prone to something called double spending, right? What what is double spending is that uh, the two devices which are talking to each other, mm. they can check the legitimacy of the transaction, but they cannot check whether it has been already spent or not, because it's not uh, it's not connected to the main ledger, right? It's mm. it's offline right mm -hmm. so whatever implementation details finally end up finally we end up using uh, one thing is that all these solutions in all these solutions you will have to eventually end up connecting to the internet after some time it's not that you can remain disconnected for a very long time right. intermittently you will have to sync with the main database or or the main ledger right another risk of uh, such kind of risks which i mentioned like double spending and all so the solutions which are being proposed are that there can be some kind of monetary restriction on how much you can transact offline, right? So these kind of solutions are being mooted and uh, uh, I think uh, uh, for countries like India and other emerging countries who are whose main motivator, one of the main motivators is financial inclusion, then offline uh, capability is, uh, is, is must, I, I would say. So one, just one last question yeah, sure. from my end. Sure. So, um, so will investments be allowed on CBDCs? Will investments be allowed on CBDCs? I mean, using CBDCs. Everything you can do with the cash, okay. you can do with CBDCs. Okay. So, uh, so, so when you said that maybe the deposits will get hampered because of CBDCs, will that actually happen or will it just complement the, the deposits? Okay. So deposits, it will end up cannibalizing deposits or there will be a flight of deposits from the bank uh, to purchasing CBDCs only if your CBDC is remunerative, it is interest bearing, then it will start competing with the bank deposits, right? If your CBDC be of some kind of interest, mm -hmm. 
then banks bank to it will com compete with the bank deposits right okay, okay. right yeah. so then there will be a flight of money mm -hmm. from the banks mm -hmm. to the cbdc so banks will end up competing with that and there are two scenarios in fact multiple scenarios which are possible one is that banks will end up reducing their deposit rates in order to remain competitive which will affect the lending rates also right, right? Okay. and it will impact the profitability of the banks and in extreme situations it may lead to financial disintermediation right the banks may like uh, not find uh, it might not be profitable for them to operate right if there's a huge amount of flight from uh, yeah. uh, bank deposits to cbdc's mm -hmm. right so such kind of scenarios are possible uh, but but we have not gone for remunerative cbdc's like most of the countries who have launched cbdc and whose pilots are going on uh, i think most of them are going for uh, non remunerative non remunerative or non interest bearing uh, version of the retail cbdc uh, i guess with this we complete our first ever session of beyond bottom line so i hope our audience has an better got a better perspective on what cbdc is and how it's going to impact our economy so thank you sir thank you for your time it was thank really you. really interesting thank you very much session insightful sir the session thank you very much sir You were listening to Beyond the Bottom Line, a podcast series by SPJIMR's Center for Financial Innovation. It is produced by the Central Communications Team. Thank you for listening.